Hey, I've written cast listeners before we get started with the show this week. I want to remind everyone that if you're listening to this episode on release day, February 1st, 2022, our next Intersections cohort is starting this coming Thursday, and it is still not too late to sign up. We close every episode of the show by saying thanks for joining the conversation. And we hope that is what you're doing with trusted friends and our family. But we also understand that for many of you, there's no one to speak to. Deconstruction can be a lonely process. Intersections is an opportunity to speak with other people who have experienced pain and heartache of being in fundamentalist communities. Uh, these weekly conversations are going to be facilitated by your hosts here at Irenacast. And our winter cohort is happening this Thursday through March 10th, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time via Zoom. So you can still register. There's still some space available. There's information in the show notes at irenicast.com slash 195. That's irenicast.com slash 195. And there you'll find a link to sign up. So we hope to see you there. Without any further ado, let's move on to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenicast, a group of folks leaning into our progressive Christian imagination. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. And I'm Jeff. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we provoke conversation for shifting perspectives on theology and culture. Thank you for joining us this week. As we are here together, Bonnie is on assignment, and so it is just the three boys hanging out. So we are going to be having a conversation in reflection to a wonderful conversation that Bonnie had with Carolyn Baker, who was just phenomenal. I mean, I am so excited to pick up her book. I'll tell you, damn, I was I was actually on the road as I was listening to the episode. And there were so many things that really hit me, especially as I was driving through Northern California, uh, through wine country. And any of you who know any history about Northern California, there are some pockets of strong conservatism, you know, and uh, seeing those big signs about Jesus and guns and water and listening to this episode was pretty compelling to me. I'll tell you that. And, uh, you know, as we jump into this, I'm sure many of you are so curious to know what our segment is. I know that's what you look forward to. <laughs> you were super anxious to know what fun thing we have come up with. And so today I have come up with a new segment called Bunker Buddies. The guys are trying not to <laughs> l- burst into laughter as they hear this. Uh, but Bunker Buddies is, a, is going to be our segment and we'll share more with you uh, after the music. But uh, I would really just love to hear from both of you. You know, what what are some of the your first initial responses uh, to to this episode that Bonnie did? Yeah, I think maybe a bit of advice to those listening. If you haven't already listened to Bonnie's interview with Carolyn Baker, you should probably hit the pause button on this episode. Listen to that because we're you know we're in conversation about that episode right now. And you know, overall, she touched on she touched on a lot of things that are directly involved with sort of the times in a big sense, but also the times in very specific sense. Things like January sixth, what led up to it, the undermining of the freedoms in in our society, in, in American society that have been percolating for a while, and. She had some thoughts on how we can navigate it all. It was a comprehensive conversation about these topics, about our times, 
what got us here and how to get through them, I think, might be a, a bit of a summary. And she said it really well. I, I think one of my biggest takeaways from it, as clear and honest and as sobering as she was, I felt a tone and substance of hope throughout all of it. So in a way, I feel like I'm better informed, like actually about the horrors that are happening and more hopeful about what's possible for us than I was before the interview. I mean, that sounds a little cheesy, but it, it, it is true for me. And so I, I really appreciated her ability to bring hope into her analysis of all of it. Yeah, I was really struck by, like you're saying, Rajiv, the, the hope that she brought to it. But I really do think that that, that term that she used, Christo-fascism, is a really important term to start using because it's very explicit in terms of bringing accountability to the the Christian heritage that we all have and all of the horrible things that it's done to bring about the many things that we're dealing with and reconciling with today. And I don't think that the institutional church is very good at all with keeping itself accountable and rectifying past atrocities. You know, I, I don't know exactly how that would be done, but I don't even think that these institutions are having those conversations. So of course they're not going to know what to do. And I think that, you know, being in, a, in America, Christianity is our heritage, whether we like it or not. Like that's just if the, the white Europeans that came over and started this nation. You know, it's why so many people today say it's a Christian nation. It's a Christian nation. Well, that's largely true. It was founded on these, you know, Judeo-Christian values, Protestant, whatever. And I mean, we've not been accountable to to the things that we've started. And instead of doing that, a lot of these institutions are just dying on the vine. Yeah. So I just think it's, it's something to keep in the front of our minds and uh, think about. I think it's interesting that an institution, and by that I mean just Christianity at large, capital C, Rajiv, capital C, all right? Uh, the institution that is the institution to talk about confession absolution or forgiveness and then absolution is the very institution that struggles the most to confess. It is the institution that has failed at every turn to confront the atrocities, as you said, Jeff, and its leaders for uh, continuing to perpetuate them. I mean, and we can think of all sorts of things, right? In terms of child abuse and financial scandals, or just churches in general that sit on millions and millions of dollars while hungry people live in their communities. But I think that for me, like the thing that I just kept coming back to was, especially when I realized that it would be the three of us having this conversation, is that it is mostly men's fault. <laughs> I mean, in terms of if we were talking about the end of the world as we know it, which we are, we're here, we're, we're sort of staring down the barrel. If you listen to our previous episode with Sila, who was phenomenal in our Generations episode, we, we are kind of at a, at a breaking point. And it is patriarchy cuddled up next to a few other things that have, that have 
led us to this place. And as as men, cis men, I think that in some ways it is appropriate for us to have this conversation today and to sort of talk about historically, how did we get here? Theologically, what are, what are some of the issues? And I would love to round off the conversation, Rajiv, with your hope. You know, we talked a few episodes ago about hope and that, you know, the vehicle towards hope is uh, wonder and gratitude. So maybe that's, I would love to hear that towards the end. But just in this meantime, I mean, I'd love for you all to pick up on some of that around where we are. Yeah, I think I think the analysis, the comment around, you know, men have been violently, you know, we've used violence as a tool to keep our control over things historically. And, you know, I hear you when you say, you know, the church hasn't done the confessing etc. And I mean, I, I think, frankly, I think the church is a convenient sca- scapegoat. I think everything is a convenient scapegoat because the real ill is men are in charge of the church and have been. Men are in charge of all the stuff and we have been. And so it's men that are the problem. It, can you imagine what Christianity would look like if women were in charge from A to Z? And some of us men got to, you know, be in support of an institution that was run by, visioned by women, it it, it would be a, a completely different universe. And so I agree with you that the lack of confession, contrition, accountability is inherently a male supremacist problem, a patriarchal problem. And, you know, we men have kind of run everything for too long. And it's gotten us where it's gotten us and and things need to change. So part of that, you know, maybe, maybe exploring as we continue this conversation, exploring what that stepping back can look like that, that readily comes to mind is the, the, the common denominator, whether it's government, corporations, industry, religion, the common denominator is male supremacist domination. I know that this is bad science because the correlations are not, uh, you know, 100%. But I'm even thinking of COVID and the countries that are ran by women uh, that have not had the issues that we have had. I think of New Zealand specifically. Germany is another one where women, women are running the countries and they are, they are not having the issues with COVID that we are. Again, someone might want to, you know, check me, but really. Well, I yeah, I think that's a really great observation. I think Germany's having trouble similar to what we're having as far as vaccination rates and stuff. But the way Angela Merkel handled that leadership role, she's a scientist. And so she understands the systems. Is the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern? It's embarrassing to not know her name because she's really amer- uh, amazing. But yeah, the way they handled it, they were just like, you know, that poor island nation, like if they got it, they'd be in big trouble. Yeah, they handled it incredibly well. But I think it's the leadership, you know, these are people that approached it with a lot of thought, a lot of intellect, and a lot of compassion and and administrative skill. Yeah, good science or not, that's a good point. Yeah, I I just kept hearing in in Sila's voice, and I hear you know, in Carolyn's voice, a sense of urgency that is deep. There is a sense of urgency to have these conversations, to bring into the light 
the systems that really are destroying us, you know? And it's sort of like, especially in light of Sila's episode, like we sort of were talking about like, we must have skin in the game to dismantle these things. Yeah. What does it mean to not just talk about these things? You know, this cannot be a 45 minute discussion in my brain. The, when this is not a hypothetical for the young people of the world, or quite frankly, for people of color in the world, because the reality is climate change especially hits them the hardest. COVID hits them the hardest. Like, there's, we know that um, at the end of the day, any of these things will hit uh, the commu- communities of color more than anybody. And so we have to, we have to be willing to move from a place of just thinking about these things to articulating them in a way that leads us to action. That's how I feel. Right. Like, so Jeff, you know, I'm thinking about you and your family, right? You have two daughters. Like, how do you navigate these things in your own home? Like, how are you raising them up? I I don't know what to do here. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's a good question, Casey. Like, I, I, I don't know. You know, I'm thinking about this whole, thing that we're talking about and i know that the, it's a trope right like as a father of two daughters and how that phrase is used by men like me to establish authority over things that they have no place to establish authority on right like the red flag twitter thing you go to someone's twitter account and if the first thing that it says is husband father it's like eh, block you know <laughs> Because it's that it's we it's it's so emblematic of the problem that we're talking about. I mean, how we deal with it in our home is we try to establish, you know, with them the importance of their voice. And that can only be I think can only be exampled by my partner, who is a female to use that voice. And I think that a lot of the times when it comes to like men's voice in our culture and, and moving away from the patriarchy, we have a whole group of men who are, you know, super hurt that they can't say anything anymore and they can't do this or they can't do that because meh, 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 meh. And it's like, how much more strength does it take to leave space for someone else? How much more uh, leadership is it to, to leave space for someone else to, to shine, to use their voice because it hasn't been used in the past. So we talk a lot like that with our, with our girls about, you know, your voice is powerful. It's strong. Use it and try to show them representation of other people that look like them that are doing exactly that. You know, I can't tell you how many Balala books we have in their room. And how many, you know, there's a series of books called Rebel Women, you know, really trying to shape the history that they learned. Because I know that that's a big part of it for me is when I was growing up, representation was huge, right? Like, and I know it sounds silly, but when I was a little kid, I was raised by media for the most part, by stories. So I had like Rocky and John McClane and, you know, all these, you know, Indiana Jones, Luke Skywalker, like all of these cultural stories that were pretty prevalent. You know, most people knew what they were and they, they, people saw them and trying to establish that same thing. And this is just a small slice, but trying to establish that same thing for my girls to say, Hey, look, there's other faces that can be the hero of the story. And then trying to figure out how to teach 
them when to step back, when your voice is not needed in a particular situation, because they are, you know, they were, they are going to grow up to be white women. And we've seen over the past five years, especially that white women can be very dangerous in our culture. So how do we then teach them that, yes, your voice is powerful, but there are other times where you need to leave space for other voices to speak up. And I think that's the thing that we struggle with right now. And maybe just developmentally, we don't need to worry about that right now because they're developing that voice. And and once they can have more nuance to their thought as they reach adolescent and young adulthood, then we can hopefully instill that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, all, <laughs> all that being said, I don't know. We're trying. <laughs> Well, as someone who knows your kiddos, they have no problem speaking. And I love <laughs> no, that. they don't. <laughs> I literally love coming to your house and I will sit there for an hour and they will tell me a play by play of their favorite movie that they're or favorite show. And I just really appreciate that. And they have opinions about their the characters and what their hopes for their development. And I just love that. So I think you're doing a great job, Jeff. But really, all credit goes to Kat. We know that. So. It's true. It's true. Rajiv, I'd love to hear from from you on some of this. And I think as, um, you know, it's no secret that both you and I are pastors in, in a community in the Sacramento area. And as I was hearing Jeff, I there was something that came to mind that relates to some of this about stepping stepping back, right? So I, um, many of you know, I have this nonprofit that we started five years ago called The Landing Spot, which is a support group for LGBT teens and their adult caregivers. And in my sort of trying to let go, let go and let God, honey, I have been trying to bring young adults in, bring other voices in. We're trying to make decisions around the next few months because Omicron is uh, just having a heyday all over the place. And do we meet in person? Do we not meet in person? And how do these decisions get made? And so I, I actually called a meeting today and I could feel myself wanting to, wanting to just take the conversation, right? Wanting to just sort of insert my voice into these spaces. But the realization that uh, I don't have all the, so- the solutions here Right. I mean, which is something I already know. But there's this sense in which, like, as we're talking today, like, I think it's an important skill for us to learn where we have the ability to speak and then we have the ability to say, I may not have the best answers. Or I might know that this is not going to go well, but let's try it anyway. We do no good to anybody if we cannot walk alongside people and raise up stronger leaders who can show us the way or who can see things from a place that we cannot. I don't know. It's, it, it is such a weird thing to believe wholeheartedly that as men, it's time to step aside and then accept positions that are front and center. You know, that's, that's something I wrestle with constantly. You know, part of that is just circumstance. Part of that's timing, and and under undergirding all of it, I think for both of us is calling, because I, I don't think it matters what our job titles were. We would be pastors in whatever work we were doing. You know, if it was clerks for the the local government, you know, we'd be at lunchtime. We'd be doing some pastoring with people. You know, listening to folks, accompanying them, and not being afraid of the hard spaces. 
one one of the challenges, and I, I think Carolyn Baker's conversation with Bonnie brings some of this in. One of the challenges we face in getting in confronting Christo fascism is the confronting takes authentic people to be their fullest selves in order for a confrontation to be effective at all. And so, what does it mean for me to be my fullest authentic self? And does my fullest authentic self have to be something that displaces or casts a shadow on anybody else? No, I don't think it does. Now, I don't know fully how to do that yet, but it's part of the challenge that I have taken on to try to be an authentic, full version of myself while being a cheerleader, a supporter, a lifter up of others, and try not to inhibit the growth and development of the people I'm in relationship with. And and I think that is a huge challenge. And I think in all the way around, for some of us, it's sort of being conscious about tamping some things down in the way we do things. And for others of us, it's about stepping into things that we're on the margins of and we need to be in the middle of. I mean, this goes back to good discernment, right? It goes back to acknowledging where you exist in the world, gender, race, sexual orientation, like all of these intersections, what do they lead to? <laughs> do they invite you to step into into spaces and to lead? Or are there enough people in the space that look and sound like you that you can take a step back to make room for somebody else? That's called good discernment, right? It's it's interesting, you know, you, you the way that you all are wording this, it takes me back to my Pentecostal days, those prayer closet moments, right? Where like, let God examine your heart. And I'm thinking, what a powerful tool for me today. Not that I believe that God will come in and examine my heart, but I learned a posture that I can now examine my own heart and examine my place in the world and really like put some intense thought and emotion and just reflection into all those things, Rajiv, that you're talking about, you know, like, and, and Casey, that you're talking about, where, where my life intersects, you know, how I express my authentic self, whether it's through the tools that I've been given as a straight white male to just whatever scenario I'm in, everyone needs to hear my voice, which is, you know, obviously the wrong way because we've, we've all encountered those kind of people and where I can be my authentic self in, in other ways, in, in ways of support, in ways to, to uplift. And I think that, you know, adopting a spiritual discipline, if that's what we want to call it, of really self-reflection and with those things in mind, not, not cause usually it was at least for me in a Pentecostal set, it was like, what is my purpose? So it always put me in the center of that. And then how can I take that same energy, that same skill that I was taught spiritual skill that I was taught growing up and redirect it into something that's a lot more akin to, um, what we're talking about here. I, I have a question and, I, I mean this sincerely. It's it's not a joke. Uh, but you said prayer closet. Is that not a term I, that that was used that that's yeah, used outside? I don't of... know if that's just a Pentecostal thing, but that sounds like at once fascinating and lovely and wonderful and scary as f. Well, it can be what, for sure. What is it, Casey? Is that? It's not a literal thing. I know, like, I don't have like a prayer closet, like with you know. Okay, no, I figured that. Okay, <laughs> I, I figured that. 
Well, actually, I do have a prayer closet, Rajiv, and it's just a bunch of pictures of you. And uh... <laughs> now, okay, I gotta go. Is that no, why okay. you needed all the? Is that why you needed those tea candles for me? Those tea lights? Exactly, Jeff? exactly. <laughs> don't worry, Casey. You have your closet too. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't live in closets anymore. But uh... <laughs> is that a term you haven't heard either, Casey? No, I, oh, I never heard okay. that term. It, it's just, a... uh, but I. But I meant I went to very inappropriate and dark places when I. Heard it, so. <laughs> well, I guess to then to clarify for any Protestants that don't have a Pentecostal background, it's just it's just like a, a metaphor for like you you put yourself alone with God and you know you we lock call your... those quiet times. Right. Not, <laughs> we said quiet time, but uh, prayer closet was the the term that that I grew up with. Maybe maybe it was just my weird community, or I don't know. If you're out there, you know, please validate my experience by telling me that you've heard that. That term before, um, but it's just a shutting away, right? Like a shutting away and and being alone with God, uh, away from everyone else. Which my my professor in college told me that some of the worst atrocities atrocities in Christianity happen when one man went alone in a room with his Bible, and uh, I tend to agree with that. Wow, I love that. Yeah, prayer closet. Does that help shed some light on it? It's, I know it's weird. Like I, Pentecostalism, I, there's a lot of weird stuff I could share. That could be a whole episode if we want the weird things of uh, charismatic Christians. But Yeah, that would be cool. That would be really cool. <laughs> I, no, it's just such an interesting term that, yeah, I don't know. It, it's And as somebody who's uh, pretty claustrophobic, um, it <laughs> it's problematic from that front. So I'm glad to hear it's not a literal closet jeff no no that you're making or have in the corner of your garage yeah no but yeah no it's interesting i mean that the spiritual practice practices and the language that we put around it can be fascinating and meaningful in different ways so anyway thanks for thanks for clarifying that there was a moment when they were when uh they were talking about christofascism uh carolyn and bonnie and there was this moment when they're talking about how do you deal with people and I swear to you that it sounded a lot like this. We can hate the sin, but love the sinner. It sounded like that. It really did. It was, we can, we can love our family members or our Trumper neighbors, but we do not have to accept their sort of political, scary ideologies or their aggression, right? And I went there. I mean, it was almost like, boom. I could connect these two things and the, this sort of fear of like, Oh my God, have we become like the exact opposite and of, of the same people that we despise. Right. I really am fascinated with this idea of like, how do we walk alongside people? You know, Carolyn gave us some great tips, like don't get pissed, which is always the hardest part for me. Like I, I get, I'm immediately pissed. Be curious which is great. You know, where did you get that information? And for many of the people I know and love who uh, who live in that world, a lot of what I get from them is, well, I thought it, therefore it's true. It's like almost like you think, therefore you are or something. That was really compelling to me about like, um, how do we walk alongside people? And also how do we help them get curious about their own information intake, where they're receiving this and how they're making decisions for their lives? Yeah, that, the template for engagement that Carolyn Baker offered in that interview was brilliant, thoughtful, and compassionate. 
I haven't re-listened again, but I have plans to re-listen and actually write out notes because it's uh, it's super good. Casey, I got the same vibes that you did. The hate the center, you know, or hate the sin and love the center uh, with that particular portion of the the conversation. And and I wonder too, you know, I think everyone needs to know their their boundaries, what they can handle and what they can't handle. I think there's room for compassion with those that are close to us, family, whatever. But I also think there's room for anger. You know, when we're in a place of protest where we're talking about larger issues, part of it is we don't have containers in our society for those emotions. Uh, and therefore, I don't think we have containers in our relationships for them. M- my wife has been listening to uh, a lot of Brene Brown's recent episodes of her podcast, and she got her latest book. I don't remember what it's called, but I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. It's something that we've actually been, you know, going back to what you were asking before, it's something we've been talking with our girls about where she did a survey and like a vast majority of people can only recognize five emotions in themselves, even though there's like 87 different nuanced ways that we can feel. And if we can't even see that in ourselves, what kind of toll is that going to take on our relationships if we can't have a container for these nuanced emotions and, and, you know, grace and understanding with others and ourselves when we express those emotions, because I do think that it's really easy. And I know maybe this is just for me, but it's real easy just to, you know, hold that in and let those things come out in, in ways that are, that end up being more damaging to those relationships. That's kind of a tangent, but I also think that it's, it's appropriate when we're talking about kind of these big issues where where we can take those those emotions. No, I, I don't think it's a tangent at all. And and what what comes up for me right away, Jeff, when you were talking about the inability to access those nuanced emotions, which there are many of, and they're probably not really even that nuanced, they're there. But this again, I think, is a byproduct of toxic male supremacy, where we're like, look, you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to fight. You're allowed to like, you know, it, you know, it, we're just in denial about so much. And then that template, that that inability just gets forced on everybody. And so we struggle with that. Thank God for Brene Brown. I mean, really, geez. Before, before we end our conversation, I'm kind of jumping here. But I just want to talk about the cover because they, in the interview, Carolyn references the cover that she really likes to her book, and I'm looking at it right now, and just so it's in front of me, and it's so powerful. There's the the Kindle version, which is sort of the I don't know what you'd call it. It's the I don't know the the watered down version that she's not a big fan of, and then there's the version that she chose in partnership with an artist that she's in relationship has a cousin or something. But it's so bold and scary and, you know, that's where Christianity is in so many instances. And those of us in Christianity, this is what we're confronting, you know, as, as fellow Christians. Yeah, so look up, <laughs> look up her web, website, carolynbaker.net, and uh, scroll down a click or two. It's, it's a powerful image. And get her book. 
You know, I think that this is something that we sort of talked about at one point around January 6th. This this idea that if you were a Bible believer, honey, if you love the Lord and you've showed up waving your Christian nationalism flag and you look around and see all these swastikas and Confederate flags, you might ask yourself, oh, is this is this where I've ended up? I mean, again, about uh, in terms of good discernment, there's a church in our area that has hired for security of their church, the Proud Boys. And you have to ask yourself, if you are someone who loves Jesus, are you willing to attend a church that partners with, uh, with white nationalists? I mean, I remember as an evangelical, and maybe this has went away, um, and actually that would make sense for a variety of reasons, but I just remember walking into this uh, event hall with a picture of George W. Bush, like huge, like eight by 10 of George W. Bush into, as you're walking into the sanctuary, but that's a whole nother thing. You, you as an evangelical, uh, at least when I was a young person, would hear things like, you are to sacrifice everything for the cause of Christ. You are to lay your life down. You are not of this world, right? Those are the kinds of messages that you are, that Christianity, your faith above all, and now I think we, we have the, the tide has turned, and the messaging is that we would choose our white supremacy and our, our white nationalism over, over our faith. Are they the same thing? I mean, and, and I would argue they are. I mean, they, they have become the same thing. In my experience, they were never separate. They were sure. never separate. Like I, every church that I grew up in, it was, I, I heard pastors say, if I go into a church and there's not an American flag on the stage next to the Christian flag, then I'm walking out. And every, you know, 4th of July or whatever Sunday was closest to that, there was always this, you know, uh, red, white, and blue confetti going all over the place <laughs> for, you know, America and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, come on, like, yeah. <laughs> It, it it was never separate. Like it was always there. And I think that when they use the rhetoric of, you know, you die for your faith and you're also confronted with the American flag, then it conflates those two things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think it's important for us to frame, you know, American Christianity is a very adolescent, pimply faced Christianity. It isn't the large body, the ancestry and history of Christianity. It's a, it's a blip on the landscape of the scene, it, it is a dominant force in our experiences. The hope is that we can get out of this adolescence without destroying too much more. I, um, I don't know, though. Rajiv, I, I don't want to push back on that, but I just want to kind of get a little bit more. Because from my perspective, it's just the next iteration of the same energy that did the Crusades or, you know, whatever. Like, it's still the main – like, there's definitely so many wonderful, beautiful paths of Christianity. But it feels like the main – the visible portion of Christianity has always been some version of this. It's always been some adolescent No, I think that's what grabs the headlines for, for their times. But I think, you know, the vast, the vast work of Christianity is the quiet, compassionate work that happens in, in alleyways and huts and crowd overcrowded apartment buildings, farms, you know, there, there's the quiet compassion of Christianity that I think far outweighs the horrible headlines of the Crusades, of sex scandals, 
you know, and Trumpism. It, it it's just that way. I mean, I I would say you know Islam is is in a similar boat to that. You know, it what grabs the headlines is this horrible behavior. But Islam as a religion isn't a horrible religion. It's far better than harmful. Not to say we don't have blood on our hands. That's I'm not trying to make that claim. But keeping it in perspective, I think, is really important. Well, and wrapping it back to this idea of hope that we sort of uh, started with. The invitation from the episode was get involved, right? Get involved. Do what you can. I think that something that happens with all of us is, is that the world, because we get more news information than we've ever wanted <laughs> at the tip of our fingers, you know, um, we begin to believe that is our responsibility to change the entire world by ourselves or that the weight of the world is on our shoulders. And I think that the what I heard and the invitation that I continue to hear is that we just continue to, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, whether it be in tight-spaced apartment buildings or at the local coffee shop, what agency do you have to carry out this steady progressive Christian message? How do you engage and how do you step back? And can you find that sort of discernment within yourself? Yeah, well said, Casey. And and what influences and power structures are forcing you back into that box? Mm. It's the way that you worded that, Casey. I just last night with uh, the family we watched that movie Encanto. Have you seen it? I loved it. Yeah, it's, so good. it's good. Everything you're saying right now, like to me, mm. that was it. Like this whole family full of powers that have been like. I mean, it obviously deals with the elders and, and how they, you know, their place and the rules that they impose on others and the, the, the roles that you feel you need to, to tie into. But, you know, each of the family members of this house have these powers and they all feel the pressure of those powers mainly because of the matriarch of the family. And it's about, you know, finding that understanding and people learning to be who they are and people learning to let go of their powers and relax and like all kinds of different spectrums of that. But it's just really, it's really cool. Uh, kind of version of what we're talking about, right? Like we've all been given some sort of power or influence in this world and learning how to use it in a way that legitimately helps the community as opposed to conforms to what the community expects and really uh, finding our way in the midst of those two, you know, <laughs> those two opposing forces feels really appropriate to this conversation. So yeah, I'm glad I watched it last night in advance of this, not knowing where it would go. <laughs> like, was it on Disney plus? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that will uh, do it for us this week. So let us know what you think. To add your voice to this particular conversation, comment on the show notes at rinacast.com slash 195. In the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the ways to add your voice to this conversation. And if you haven't already, please consider joining our email list. Joining our email list is the best way to keep updated on all things Irenicast, including our next intersection session that will be taking place on Thursday, February 3rd through March 10th at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can find a link to subscribe in the show notes, again at irenicast.com slash 195. All right. Well, 
on the other side of the music, we're going to play Bunker Buddies. Hey, so (laughs) stick around. It'll be fun. All right, and we're back. And so today uh, we will be uh, enjoying our segment, Bunker Buddies. Guys, you're my bunker buddies for life. (laughs) BBLs. You're my BBLs. And so if we were going to be in a bunker together, you're only allowed three items. And I would uh, ask that you each be considerate of our, our BBL living situation. What things would you bring to our bunker? So I have a couple questions, Casey, just before I want to, I want to get the world set in my head. Okay. So is this like in this scenario, are we, do we have unlimited power? Like, can we assume that the bunker itself has been, you know, has been given, you know, flowing water and, and power? Correct. That's right. Right. We've just went underground because the white nationalists have taken over. Okay. uh, And they're all praying to Jesus. You know, and so we're hiding out. Uh, and the very way that they were convinced they would have to hide out, we now finally have found our way to the bunker. We have power and water. Gotcha. And so it's unlimited it, power, potable water. Right. Okay. And is it uh, like a one big room or are we like a house situation where we have a kitchen and a living space? This and- is a lot. This, you're, this is a lot. Uh, <laughs> we have a communal kitchen. And it's not it's not like a fancy kitchen. You you get like you get like little propane tank. It it should just be a hole in the ground, Casey. That keeps us safe from the white nationalists. We got potable water and unlimited energy. What else can we ask for? That's exactly right. Uh, other than a prayer closet. I think we should have <laughs> that should just come standard prayer closet. It should. I mean every every bunker has a prayer closet. Oh man. All right, Casey, uh, how do you want us to do this? You want us to go I one by one or get three? Do we get three things? We get three things. And and the three things can have like magical properties, like be unlimited. Uh, uh, I don't. I, or. I feel like they, there's a limit to these things. Okay. Okay. All right. Casey, I think it would be helpful if you started us with your first item so that we can get an idea on where what you're thinking and how what way you're going, and then we can follow behind. Sure. Because we will not have internet in this world, because internet is full of fake news and pornography, the white nationalists have ended, ended internet access, which means we cannot stream things. So I am going to bring my entire collection of Bob's Burgers. As something to keep it light when I'm stuck in the bunker with the boys. So I love that show and I hate that show. This is because I'm like, that's my life. Those are, <laughs> th- those are my kids. Those smart Alec punk kids. And Look, and he, when Tina touches the boys' fingers and then she she's goes so into this funny. alternate universe of yeah, that so was funny. that's that was me. All of high school. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. All right. I, I would bring a, a decent collection of board games. Okay. Keep the, the mind and the socialization going. So since you're bringing a collection of things, board games, I'm going to bring my my cooking essentials. So my, my cooking essentials pack. So I got my chef's knife, which got to have. Got my cast iron skillet. Got to have that. And then, uh, since we do have unlimited power and water, I will bring my 
my sous vide so that we can, whatever food we have available, we can cook to perfect temperatures and sear it on the beautiful cast iron skillet. So that would be my, my quick cooking bundle that I've grabbed as I ran out of the house as, you know, neo-Nazis were burning down my, my abode. I'm going to bring, uh, because again, this is not limitless, I'm going to bring my 12 favorite bottles of wine, a case of wine, um, so that every year that we are stuck in the bunker, at least up to 12 years, we can commemorate our safety in our bunker. Okay. Uh, I've got this concept for a fish tank that has multiple chambers, you know, and it's it's a self-sufficient fish tank. And in each of the chambers, there's a supply of fish at different stages of development. And these are fish that reproduce very quickly. So we will have a decent supply of lean protein, you know, that we can put in the sous vide and, and enjoy fish protein in perpetuity. Sounds good. Well, since we're going to be in a hole and going along with Raj, what Rajiv was talking about, I was thinking, you know, bring as many seeds, as a, so a pack of seeds for produce that we could grow with the appropriate, you know, UV light that is undoubtedly connected to Rajiv's intricate fish machine because they, they're going to need some sort That's of right. light as gotta well. Have, so we, we repurpose have the grow that lights. light. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so... Um, so yeah, so we got food covered and wine. I mean, what? <laughs> well, one bottle a year. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> Which make I, it last. I'm fine with, <laughs> but you know, Casey, I, you, hopefully you won't have withdrawals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we have all the essentials, we now need an aesthetic. And so I will bring my favorite poster of Justin Bieber just so that we, uh, have something to look at for all of, um, uh, our time in the I don't know how I feel about that case. Uh, I don't know how many guesses we need <laughs> as to which is the favorite poster of Justin Bieber, but he's a nice boy. It'll be fine. Um, I got one more thing, right? Um, I mean, we kind of got food covered. You know, it sounds, sounds like we, it's, it's almost like we got the bases covered. So what's a nice thing to have? A decent sound system. Yeah. Okay. So we can listen to Justin Bieber. So we can, yeah, you know, listen to music and, with a, you know, a, a, that already comes equipped with a hard drive with like a bajillion songs of all the genres. So um, we will be entertained through music. All right, Bunker Buddy Jeff. All right. Well, I, I, I got to bring my guitar. We have a bunch of time down there. And, uh, you know, I, I just I just know how to play chords and I'm going to use that time to to get much better at the guitar. You so you can spend time in your prayer closet <laughs> playing the guitar. That's right. Uh, and then if, you know, later the hard drive fails, then we can, we can do some live music and, uh, I'll play the guitar in case he will sing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll get a, uh, I'll just add a little drum kit to that thing. I always wanted to learn to play the drums. There you go. Well, I must admit this was a, not a very successful, uh, event but we tried you know look bonnie and i always say we are the least fun among us so there you go what are you talking about it sounds like yeah, it, it sounds fun. great i'm i'm I'm, I'm down with this bunker although i'm not so yeah. sure about the justin bieber thing but you know that's it's it's fine look, that's our running shtick so you just have to be with it, I'm, I'm fine yeah. if if i get to be in the bunker with you two then it's well worth the price well, of admission. i mean casey you had us thinking about survival man 
we're we're tr- we're trying to deal with the survival of the white supremacist Christo fascists who are up on the surface of the earth wreaking havoc. So hey, I took it. I took the assignment seriously. I appreciate that. <laughs> you understood the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I didn't want to throw that out there because I'm not cool enough. But thanks, Jeff. That's okay. I'll I'll <laughs> be the uncool one for both of us. <laughs> Well, that will do it for us this week. We have intersections coming up again, just as a reminder. Thursday, February 3rd through March 10th, 2022. <laughs> if you enjoy Ironicast and you'd like to join the work we are doing, please consider donating to our PayPal link at ironicast.com slash PayPal. We are committed to keeping the show free for listeners, but there are costs involved. Uh, and we would appreciate your financial support. That's irenacast.com slash PayPal. Irenacast is also a nonprofit organization, so your donations are tax deductible. You can also support the show by simply making sure you follow the show wherever you listen uh, to this podcast. And if the platform allows it, please leave us a rating and or review. So for this week, I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. And I'm Jeff. Thanks for joining the conversation. Mm-hmm.